1: Part four chapter seventy three of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Higher Man one When I came unto men for the first time, then did I commit the anchorite folly, the great folly I appeared on the market place, and when I spake unto all, I spake unto none. In the evening, however, rope-dancers were my companions and corpses, and I myself almost a corpse. With the new morning, however, there came unto me a new truth. Then did I learn to say, of what account to me are marketplace and populous and populous noise and long populous ears? Ye hiremen, learn this from me. On the market-place no one believeth in higher men. But if he will speak there, very well. The populace, however, blinketh. We are all equal. Ye higher men, so blinketh the populace. There are no higher men. We are all equal. Man is man. Before God we are all equal. Before God? Now, however, this God hath died. Before the populace, however, we will not be equal. Ye higher men, away from the marketplace. 2. Before God. Now, however, this God hath died. Ye higher men, this God was your greatest danger. Only since he lay in the grave have ye again risen. Now only cometh the great noontide. Now only doth the higher man become master. Have ye understood this word, O my brethren? Ye are frightened. Do your hearts turn giddy? Doth the abyss here yawn for you? Doth the hellhound here yelp at you? Well... Take heart, ye higher men. Now only travaileth the mountain of the human future. God hath died. Now do we desire the superman to live. 3. The most careful ask today, How is man to be maintained? Zarathustra, however, asketh, as the first and only one, how is man to be surpassed? The superman I have at heart. That is the first and only thing to me, and not man. Not the neighbor, not the poorest, not the sorriest, not the best. Oh, my brethren, what I can love in man is that he is an overgoing and a downgoing. And also, in you, there is much that maketh me love and hope in that ye have despised ye higher men that maketh me hope for the great despisers are the great reverers in that ye have despaired, there is much to honour for ye have not learned to submit yourselves, ye have not learned petty policy for today have the petty people become master. They all preach submission, and humility, and policy, and diligence, and consideration, and the long etc. of petty virtues. Whatever is of the effeminate type, whatever originateth from the servile type, and especially the populous mishmash, that wisheth now to be master of all human destiny
2: oh disgust
1: disgust disgust that asketh and asketh and never tireth how is man to maintain himself best longest most pleasantly thereby are they the masters of to-day these masters of to-day surpass them o oh, my brethren these petty people They are the superman's greatest danger. Surpass, ye higher men, the petty virtues, the petty policy, the sand-grain considerateness, the anthill trumpery, the pitiable comfortableness, the happiness of the greatest number. And rather despair than submit yourselves. And verily, I love you because ye know not to-day how to live, ye higher men. For thus do ye live best. 4. Have ye courage, O my brethren? Are ye stout-hearted? Not the courage before witnesses, but anchorite and eagle courage, which not even a god can any longer beholdeth. Cold souls, Mules the blind and the drunken I do not call stout-hearted He hath heart who knoweth fear, but vanquisheth it Who seeth the abyss, but with pride? He who seeth the abyss, but with eagles eyes He who with eagles talons graspeth the abyss He hath courage 5 Man is evil So said to me for consolation all the wisest ones. Ah! if only it be still true today. For the evil is man's best force. Man must become better and eviler. So do I teach. The evilest is necessary for the superman's best. It may have been well for the preacher of the petty people to suffer, and be burdened by men's sin, I, however, rejoice in great sin as my great consolation. Such things, however, are not said for long years. Every word also is not suited for every mouth. These are fine far away things. At them sheep's claws shall not grasp. 6. Ye higher men, Think ye that I am here to put right what ye have put wrong? Or that I wished henceforth to make snugger couches for your sufferers? Or show you restless, miswandering, misclimbing ones new and easier footpaths? Nay, nay, three times nay, always more, always better ones of your type shall succumb, for ye shall always have it worse and harder." thus only thus only groweth man aloft to the height where the lightning striketh and shattereth him high enough for the lightning towards the few the long the remote go forth my soul and my seeking of what account to me are your many little short miseries ye do not yet suffer enough for me for ye suffer from yourselves ye have not yet suffered from man ye would lie if ye spake otherwise none of you suffereth from what i have suffered Seven. it is not enough for me that the lightning no longer doeth harm i do not wish to conduct it away it shall learn to work for me my wisdom hath accumulated long like a cloud it becometh stiller and darker. So doeth all wisdom, which shall one day bear lightnings. Unto these men of to-day will I not be light, nor be called light. Them will I blind. Lightning of my wisdom, put out their eyes. 8. Do not will anything beyond your power. There is a bad falseness in those who will beyond their power, especially when they will great things. For they awaken distrust in great things, these subtle false coiners and stage-players, until at last they are false toward themselves, squint-eyed, whited cankers, glossed over with strong words parade of virtues, and brilliant false deeds. Take good care there, ye higher men. For nothing is more precious to me and rarer than honesty. Is this to-day not that of the populace? The populace, however, knoweth not what is great and what is small, what is straight and what is honest. It is innocently crooked, it ever lieth. 9. Have a good distrust to-day, ye higher men, ye inheartened ones, ye open-hearted ones, and keep your reasons secret, for this to-day is that of the populace. What the populace once learned to believe without reasons, who could refute it to them by means of reasons? And On the market-place one convinceth with gestures, but reasons make the populace distrustful. And when truth hath once triumphed there, then ask yourselves with good distrust, What strong error hath fought for it? Be on your guard also against the learned. They hate you because they are unproductive." They have cold, withered eyes, before which every bird is unplumed. Such persons vaunt about not lying. But inability to lie is still far from being love to truth. Be on your guard. Freedom from fever is still far from being knowledge. Refrigerated spirits I do not believe in. He who cannot lie doth not know what truth is. 10. If ye would go up high, then use your own legs. Do not get yourselves carried aloft. Do not seat yourselves on other people's backs and heads. Thou hast mounted, however, on horseback. Thou now ridest briskly up to thy goal? Well, my friend, but thy lame foot is also with thee on horseback. When thou reachest thy goal, When thou alightest from thy horse, precisely on thy height, thou higher man, then wilt thou stumble. 11. Ye creating ones, ye higher men, one is only pregnant with one's own child. Do not let yourselves be imposed upon or put upon. Who then is your neighbor? Even if ye act... For your neighbor, ye still do not create for him. Unlearn, I pray you, this for, ye creating ones. Your very virtue wisheth you to have naught to do with for, and on account of, and because. Against these false little words shall ye stop your ears. For one's neighbor is the virtue only of the petty people. There it is said, like and like, and hand washeth hand, they have neither the right nor the power for your self-seeking. In your self-seeking, ye creating ones, there is the foresight and foreseeing of the pregnant. What no one's eye hath yet seen, namely the fruit, this sheltereth and saveth and nourisheth your entire love. Where your entire love is, namely, with your child, there is also your entire virtue. Your work, your will, is your neighbor. Let no false values impose upon you. 12. Ye creating ones, ye higher men, whoever hath to give birth is sick. Whoever hath given birth, however, is unclean ask women one giveth birth not because it giveth pleasure the pain maketh hens and poets cackle ye creating ones in you there is much uncleanliness that is because ye have had to be mothers a new child oh how much new filth hath also come into the world go apart he who hath given birth shall wash his soul thirteen be not virtuous beyond your powers and seek nothing from yourselves opposed to probability walk in the footsteps in which your father's virtue hath already walked how would ye rise high if your father's will should not rise with you he however who would be a firstling let him take care, lest he also become a lastling. And where the vices of your fathers are, there should ye not set up as saints. He whose fathers were inclined for women, and for strong wine, and flesh of wild boar-swine, what would it be if he demanded chastity of himself? A folly would it be. Much verily doth it seem for me for such a one, if he should be the husband of one, or of two, or of three women, and if he founded monasteries and inscribed over their portals this way to holiness, I should still say, what good is it? It is a new folly. He hath founded for himself a penance house and refuge house. (laughs) Much good may it do, but I do not believe in it. In solitude there groweth what any one bringeth into it, also the brute in one's nature. Thus is solitude inadvisable unto many. Hath there ever been anything filthier on earth than the saints of the wilderness? Around them was not only the devil loose, but also the swine. 14. Shy, ashamed, awkward like the tiger whose spring hath failed thus ye higher men have i often seen you slink aside a cast which ye made had failed but what doth it matter ye dice players ye had not learned to play and mock as one must play and mock do we not ever sit at a great table of mocking and playing And if great things have been a failure with you have ye yourselves therefore been a failure and if ye yourselves have been a failure hath man therefore been a failure if man however hath been a failure well then never mind 15 the higher its type always the seldomer doth a thing succeed Ye higher men here, have ye not all been failures? Be of good cheer. What doth it matter? How much is still possible? Learn to laugh at yourselves as ye ought to laugh. What wonder, even, that ye have failed, and only half succeed, ye half-shattered ones. Doth not man's future strive and struggle in you? Man's furthest, profoundest, star-highest issues, his prodigious powers, do not all these foam through one another in your vessel? What wonder that many a vessel shattereth? Learn to laugh at yourselves, as ye ought to laugh. Ye higher men, oh, how much is still possible! And verily... How much hath already succeeded? How rich is this earth in small, good, perfect things, in well-constituted things? Set around you small, good, perfect things, ye higher men. Their golden maturity healeth the heart. The perfect teacheth one to hope. 16. What hath hitherto been the greatest sin here on earth? Was it not the word of him who said, Woe unto them that laugh now? Did he himself find no cause for laughter on the earth? Then he sought badly. A child even findeth cause for it. He did not love sufficiently. Otherwise would he also have loved us, the laughing ones, But he hated and hooted us, wailing and teeth gnashing did he promise us. Must one then curse immediately, when one doth not love? That seemeth to me bad taste. Thus did he, however, this Absolute One. He sprang from the populace, and he himself just did not love sufficiently. Otherwise would he have raged less because people did not love him All great love doth not seek love it seeketh more Go out of the way of all such absolute ones they are a poor sickly type a Populous type they look at this life with ill will they have an evil eye for this earth go out of the way of all such absolute ones. They have heavy feet and sultry hearts. They do not know how to dance. How could the earth be light to such ones? 17. Tortuously do all good things come nigh to their goal. Like cats, they curve their backs, they purr inwardly with their approaching happiness. All good things laugh. His step betrayeth whether a person already walketh on his own path. Just see me walk. He, however, who cometh nigh to his goal, danceth. And verily a statue have I not become. Not yet do I stand there stiff, stupid, and stony like a pillar. I love fast racing. And though there be on earth fens and dense afflictions, He who hath light feet runneth even across the mud, and danceth as upon well-swept ice. Lift up your hearts, my brethren, high, higher, and do not forget your legs. Lift up also your legs, ye good dancers, and better still, if ye stand upon your heads. 18. This crown of the laughter This rose-garland crown, I myself have put on this crown. I myself have consecrated my laughter. No one else have I found to-day potent enough for this. Zarathustra the Dancer, Zarathustra the Light One, who beckoneth with his pinions, one ready for flight, beckoning unto all birds, ready and prepared, a blissfully light-spirited one." Zarathustra the soothsayer, Zarathustra the sooth-laugher. No impatient one, no absolute one, one who loveth leaps and side-leaps, I myself have put on this crown. 19. Lift up your hearts, my brethren, higher, higher, and do not forget your legs. Lift up also your legs, ye good dancers. And better still, if you stand upon your heads. There are also heavy animals in a state of happiness. There are club-footed ones from the beginning. Curiously do they exert themselves, like an elephant which endeavoureth to stand upon its head. Better, however, to be foolish with happiness than foolish with misfortune. Better to dance awkwardly than walk lamely. So learn, I pray you, my wisdom, ye higher men, even the worst thing hath two good reverse sides. Even the worst thing hath good dancing legs. So learn, I pray you, ye higher men, to put yourselves on your proper legs. So unlearn, I pray you, the sorrow sighing, and all the populace sadness. Oh, how sad the buffoons of the populace seem to me to-day! This, to-day, however, is that of the populace. 20. Do like unto the wind when it rusheth forth from its mountain caves, Unto its own piping will it dance. The seas tremble and leap under its footsteps. That which giveth wings to assess, that which milketh the lionesses. Praised be that good, unruly spirit, which cometh like a hurricane unto all the present, and unto all the populace. Which is hostile to thistle-heads and puzzle-heads, and to all withered leaves and weeds, praised be this wild, good, free spirit of the storm, which danceth upon fens and afflictions as upon meadows, which hateth the consumptive populace dogs, and all the ill-constituted sullen brood. Praised be this spirit of all free spirits, the Laughing Storm, which bloweth dust into the eyes of all the melanopic and melancholic! Ye higher men, the worst thing in you is that ye have none of you learned to dance as ye ought to dance, to dance beyond yourselves: what doth it matter that ye have failed, how many things are still possible! So learn to laugh beyond yourselves. Lift up your heart, ye good dancers, high, higher, and do not forget the good laughter. This crown of the laughter, this rose-garland crown, to you, my brethren, do I cast this crown. Laughing have I consecrated, ye higher men. Learn, I pray you, to laugh. Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici. Parable 1. Nietzsche admits here that at one time he had thought of appealing to the people, to the crowd in the marketplace, but that he had ultimately to abandon the task. He bids higher men depart from the marketplace. Parable 3. Here we are told quite plainly what class of men actually owe all their impulses and desires to the instinct of self-preservation. The struggle for existence is indeed the only spur in the case of such people. To them it matters not in what shape or condition man be preserved, provided only he survive. The transcendental maxim that, quote, life per se is precious, end quote, is the ruling maxim here. Parable 4 In the note on Chapter 57 I speak of Nietzsche's elevation of the virtue courage to the highest place among the virtues. Here he tells higher men the class of courage he expects from them. Parables 5 and 6 These have already been referred to in the notes on Chapters 57 and 71. Parable 7 I suggest that the last verse in this paragraph strongly confirms the view that Nietzsche's teaching was always meant by him to be esoteric and for higher men alone. Parable 9 In the last verse here, another shaft of light is thrown upon the immaculate perception or so-called pure objectivity of the scientific mind. freedom from fever is still far from being knowledge" End quote. where a man's emotions cease to accompany him in his investigations he is not necessarily nearer the truth says spencer in the preface of his autobiography quote, "in the genesis of a system of thought the emotional nature is a large factor perhaps as large a factor as the intellectual nature" End quote. see pages 134 and one hundred and forty-one of Volume One, Thoughts Out of Season. Parables ten and eleven. When we approach Nietzsche's philosophy, we must be prepared to be independent thinkers. In fact, the greatest virtue of his works is perhaps the subtlety with which they impose the obligation upon one of thinking alone, of scoring off one's own bat, and of shifting intellectually for oneself parable 13 quote, "i am a railing alongside the torrent whoever is able to grasp me may grasp me your crutch however i am not" End quote. these two paragraphs are an exhortation to higher men to become independent parable 15 here nietzsche perhaps exaggerates the importance of heredity as, however, the question is by no means one on which we are all agreed, what he says is not without value. A very important principle in Nietzsche's philosophy is enunciated in the first verse of this paragraph, quote, the higher its type, always the seldomer doth a thing succeed, End quote. See page 82 of Beyond Good and Evil. Those who, like some political economists, talk in a business-like way about the terrific waste of human life and energy, deliberately overlook the fact that the waste most to be deplored usually occurs among higher individuals. Economy was never precisely one of nature's leading principles. All this sentimental wailing over the larger proportion of failures than successes in human life does not seem to take into account the fact that it is the rarest thing on earth for a highly organized being to attain to the fullest development and activity of all its functions, simply because it is so highly organized. The blind will to power in nature therefore stands in urgent need of direction by man. Parables 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 these paragraphs deal with Nietzsche's protest against the democratic seriousness pobelanced of modern times. Quote, All good things laugh, he says, and his final command to the higher man is, "Learn, I pray you to laugh. End quote. All that is good in Nietzsche's sense is cheerful to be able to crack a joke about one's deepest feelings is the greatest test of their value. The man who does not laugh, like the man who does not make faces, is already a buffoon at heart. Quote, what hath hitherto been the greatest sin here on earth? Was it not the word of him who said, Woe unto them that laugh now? Did he himself find no cause for laughter on the earth? Then he sought badly. A child even findeth cause for it. End quote. End of Part 4, Chapter 73, Recording by John Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Part 4, Chapter 74 of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche. Translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Song of Melancholy. 1. When Zarathustra spake these things, he stood nigh to the entrance of his cave. With the last words, however, he slipped away from his guests and fled for a little while into the open air. "'Oh, pure odors around me!' cried he. O blessed stillness around me! But where are mine animals? Hither, hither, mine eagle and my serpent. Tell me, mine animals, these higher men.' all of them, do they perhaps not smell well? Oh, pure odors around me, now only do I know and feel how I love you, mine animals. And Zarathustra said once more, I love you, mine animals. The eagle, however, and the serpent pressed close to him when he spake these words, and looked up to him. In this attitude were they all three silent together, and sniffed and sipped the good air with one another, for the air here outside was better than with the higher men. 2. Hardly, however, had Zarathustra left the cave when the old magician got up, looked cunningly about him, and said, "'He is gone.' "'And already, ye higher men, let me tickle you with this complimentary and flattering name, As he himself doeth already doth mine evil spirit of deceit and magic attack me My melancholy devil Which is an adversary to this Zarathustra from the very heart? forgive it for this Now doth it wish to conjure before you it hath just its hour in vain do I struggle with this evil spirit Unto all of you, whatever honors ye like to assume in your names, whether ye call yourselves the free spirits, or the conscientious, or the penitents of the spirit, or the unfettered, or the great longers, unto all of you, who like me suffer from the great loathing to whom the old god hath died, and yet... No new god lieth in cradles and swaddling-clothes. Unto all of you is mine evil spirit and magic devil favourable. I know you, ye higher men. I know him. I know also this fiend whom I love in spite of me, this Zarathustra. He himself often seemeth to me like the beautiful mask of a saint." like a new strange mummery in which mine evil spirit the melancholy devil delighteth i love zarathustra so doth it often seem to me for the sake of mine evil spirit but already doth it attack me and constrain me this spirit of melancholy this evening twilight devil and verily ye higher men It hath a longing. Open your eyes. It hath a longing to come, naked, whether male or female, I do not yet know. But it cometh, it constraineth me, alas, open your wits. The day dieth out. Unto all things cometh now the evening, also unto the best things. Hear now and see ye higher men what devil man or woman this spirit of evening melancholy is thus spake the old magician looked cunningly about him and then seized his harp three in evening's limpid air what time the dew's soothing's unto the earth downpour invisibly and unheard for tender shoe-gear wear the soothing dews, like all that's kind-gentle? Bethink'st thou then, bethink'st thou, burning heart, how once thou thirstedest, for heaven's kindly tear-drops and dew's down-droppings, all sing'd and weary-thirstedest; what time on yellow grass pathways wicked occidental sunny glances through sombre trees about thee sported blindingly sunny glow glances gladly hurting of truth the wooer thou so taunted they nay merely poet a brute insidious, plundering, grovelling, That I must lie, That wittingly, wilfully I must lie, For booty-lusting, motley masked, self-hidden shrouded, Himself his booty, He of truth the wooer? Nay, mere fool, mere poet, just motley speaking: from mask of fool confusedly shouting circumambling on fabricated word bridges on motley rainbow arches twixt the spurious heavenly and spurious earthly round us roving round us soaring mere fool mere poet he of truth the wooer not still stiff smooth and cold become an image a god-like statue set up in front of temples as a god's own door-guard nay hostile to all such truthfulness statues in every desert homelier than at temples with catish wantonness through every window leaping quickly into chances every wild forest a- sniffing greedily longingly sniffing that thou in wild forests mong the motley speckled fierce creatures shouldst rove sinful sound and fine-coloured with longing lips smacking blessedly mocking blessedly hellish blessedly bloodthirsty robbing skulking lying roving or unto eagles like which fixedly long adown the precipice look adown their precipice oh how they whirl down now thereunder therein to ever deeper profoundness whirling then sudden with aim aright, with quivering flight, on lambkins pouncing, headlong down, sore hungry for lambkins longing, fierce against all lamb spirits, furious fierce, all that look sheep-like or lamb-eyed or crisp woolly, gray with lamb-sheep kindliness. Even thus, eagle-like panther-like are the poet's desires are thine own desires neath a thousand guises thou fool thou poet thou who all mankind viewest so god as sheep the god to rend within mankind as the sheep in mankind and in rending laughing that that is thine own blessedness of a panther and eagle blessedness of a poet and fool the blessedness in evening's limpid air what time the moon's sickle green twixt the purple glowings and jealous stealth forth of day the foe with every step in secret the rosy garland hammocks down sickling till they've sunken down nightwards, faded, down sunken, thus had I sunken one day from mine own truth insanity, from mine own fervid day longings, of day a weary, sick of sunshine sunk downwards evenwards shadowwards by one sole trueness all scorched and thirsty bethinkst thou still bethinkst thou burning heart how then thou thirstedest that i should band be from all the trueness mere fool mere poet Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici After his address to the higher men, Zarathustra goes out into the open to recover himself. Meanwhile the magician, Wagner, seizing the opportunity in order to draw them all into his net once more, sings the song of melancholy. End of Part 4 Chapter 74 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Part four, Chapter seventy five of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. SCIENCE Thus sang the magician, and all who were present went like birds unawares into the net of his artful and melancholy voluptuousness. Only the spiritually conscientious one had not been caught. He at once snatched the harp from the magician, and called out: air let in good air let in zarathustra thou makest this cave sultry and poisonous thou bad old magician thou seducest thou false one thou subtle one to unknown desires and deserts and alas that such as thou should talk and make ado about the truth alas to all free spirits who are not on their guard against such magicians. It is all over with their freedom. Thou teachest and temptest back into prisons. Thou old melancholy devil, out of thy lament soundeth allurement. Thou resemblest those who with their praise of chastity secretly invite to voluptuousness. Thus spake the conscientious one the old magician however looked about him enjoying his triumph and on that account put up with the annoyance which the conscientious one caused him be still said he with a modest voice good songs want to re-echo well after good songs one should be long silent thus do all those present the higher men thou however hast perhaps understood but little of my song in thee there is little of the magic spirit thou praisest me replied the conscientious one in that thou separatest me from thyself very well but ye others what do i see ye still sit there all of you with lusting eyes ye free spirits whither hath your freedom gone ye almost seem to me to resemble those who have long looked at bad girls dancing naked your souls themselves dance in you ye higher men there must be more of that which the magician calleth his evil spirit of magic and deceit we must indeed be different and verily we spake and thought long enough together ere zarathustra came home to his cave for me not to be unaware that we Are different we seek different things even here aloft ye and i for i seek more security on that account have i come to zarathustra for he is still the most steadfast tower and will today when everything tottereth when all the earth quaketh ye however when i see what eyes ye make it almost seemeth to me that ye seek more insecurity more horror more danger more earthquake ye long it almost seemeth so to me forgive my presumption ye higher men ye long for the worst and dangerousest life which frighteneth me most for the life of wild beasts for forests caves steep mountains and labyrinthine gorges and it is not those who lead out of danger that please you best but those who lead you away from all paths the misleaders but if such longing in you be actual it seemeth to me nevertheless to be impossible for fear that is man's original and fundamental feeling through fear everything is explained original sin and original virtue through fear there grew also my virtue that is to say science for fear of wild animals that hath been longest fostered in man inclusive of the animal which he concealeth and feareth in himself zarathustra calleth it the beast inside such prolonged, ancient fear at last become subtle, spiritual, and intellectual. At present, methinketh it is called science. Thus spake the conscientious one, but Zarathustra, who had just come back into his cave, and had heard and divined the last discourse, threw a handful of roses to the conscientious one, and laughed on account of his truths. Why, he exclaimed, what did I hear just now? Verily, it seemeth to me thou art a fool, or else I myself am one. And quietly and quickly will I put thy truth upside down. For fear is an exception with us. Courage, however, and adventure, and delight in the uncertain, in the unattempted. Courage seemeth to me the entire primitive history of man the wildest and most courageous animals hath he envied and robbed of all their virtues thus only did he become man this courage at last became subtle spiritual and intellectual this human courage with eagles pinions and serpents wisdom this it seemeth to me is called at present zamathustra cried all of them there assembled as if in one voice and burst out at the same time into a great laughter there arose however from them as it were a heavy cloud even the magician laughed and said wisely well it is all gone mine evil spirit and did i not myself warn you against it when I said that it was a deceiver, a lying and deceiving spirit, especially when it showeth itself naked. But what can I do with regard to its tricks? Have I created it, and the world? Well, let us be good again, and of good cheer. And although Zarathustra looketh with evil eye, just see him. He disliketh me. Ere night cometh, will he again learn to love and loud me. He cannot live long without committing such follies. He loveth his enemies. This art knoweth he better than any one I have seen. But he taketh revenge for it on his friends." Thus spake the old magician, and the higher men applauded him so that Zarathustra went round and mischievously and lovingly shook hands with his friends, like one who hath to make amends and apologize to every one for something. When, however, he had thereby come to the door of his cave, lo, then had he again a longing for the good air outside, and for his animals, and he wished to steal out. Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici The only one to resist the melancholy voluptuousness of his art is the spiritually conscientious one, the scientific specialist of whom we read in the discourse entitled The Leech. He takes the harp from the magician and cries for air while reproving the magician in the style of The Case of Wagner.' when the magician retaliates by saying that the spiritually conscientious one could have understood little of his song the latter replies thou praisest me in that thou separatest me from thyself the speech of the scientific man to his fellow higher men is well worth studying by means of it nietzsche pays a high tribute to the honesty of the true specialist while in representing him as the only one who can resist the demoniacal influence of the magician's music, he elevates him at a stroke above all those present. Zarathustra and the spiritually conscientious one join issue at the end on the question of the proper place of fear in man's history, and Nietzsche avails himself of the opportunity in order to restate his views concerning the relation of courage to humanity. It is precisely because courage has played the most important part in our development that he would not see it vanish from among our virtues to-day: quote, "Courage seemeth to me the entire primitive history of man." End, quote. End of part four, chapter seventy five, Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Part 4 Chapter 76 of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche Translated by Thomas Common This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Among Daughters of the Desert 1.
2: Go not away,
1: said then the wanderer, who called himself Zarathustra's shadow.
2: Abide with us otherwise the old gloomy affliction might again fall upon us now hath that old magician given us of his worst for our good and lo the good pious pope there hath tears in his eyes and hath quite embarked again upon the sea of melancholy those kings may well put on a good air before us still for that have they learned best of us all at present had they however no one to see them i wager that with them also the bad game would again commence the bad game of drifting clouds of damp melancholy of curtained heavens, of stolen suns, of howling autumn winds, the bad game of our howling and crying for help. Abide with us, O Zarathustra. Here there is much concealed misery that wisheth to speak, much evening, much cloud much damp air thou hast nourished us with strong food for men and powerful proverbs do not let the weakly womanly spirits attack us anew at desert thou alone makest the air around thee strong and clear did i ever find anywhere on earth such good air as with thee in thy cave many lands have i seen my nose hath learned to test and estimate many kinds of air but with thee do my nostrils taste their greatest delight unless it be unless it be do forgive an old recollection forgive me an old after-dinner song which i once composed amongst daughters of the desert for with them was there equally good clear oriental air there was i furthest from cloudy damp melancholy old europe then did i love such oriental maidens and other blue kingdoms of heaven over which hang no clouds and no thoughts ye would not believe how charmingly they sat there when they did not dance profound but without thoughts like little secrets like a beribboned riddles like dessert-nuts many-hued and foreign forsooth but without clouds riddles which can be guessed to please such maidens i then composed an after-dinner psalm
1: thus spake the wanderer who called himself zarathustra's shadow And before any one answered him, he had seized the harp of the old magician, crossed his legs, and looked calmly and sagely around him. With his nostrils, however, he inhaled the air slowly and questioningly, like one who in new countries tasteth new foreign air, afterward he began to sing with a kind of roaring. 2. The Deserts Grow: Woe to him who doth them
2: hide. Ha! Solemnly! In effect, solemnly! A worthy beginning! Afric manner, solemnly! Of a lion worthy! Or perhaps of a virtuous howl-monkey! But it's not to you! ye friendly damsels dearly loved at whose own feet to me the first occasion to a european under palm trees a seat is now granted Salah wonderful truly here do i sit now the desert nigh and yet i am so far still from the desert even in nought yet deserted that is i'm swallowed down by this the smallest oasis it opened up just yawning its loveliest mouth agape most sweet odoured of all mouthlets then fell i right in right down right through in among you ye friendly damsels dearly loved hail hail to that whale fish-like if it thus for its guests convenience made things nice ye well know surely my learned illusion, hail to its belly if it had e'er a such loveliest oasis belly as this is though however i doubt about it with this come i out of old europe that doubteth more eagerly than doth any elderly married woman may the lord improve it amen here do i sit now in this the smallest oasis like a date indeed brown quite sweet gold separating for rounded mouth of maiden longing but yet still more for youthful made like, ice-cold and snow-white and incisory front teeth, and for such assuredly pine the hearts all of ardent date fruits, Salah! To the there named south fruits now, similar, all too similar, do I lie here, by little flying insects, round-sniffled and round-played, and also by yet littler, foolisher, and peccabler wishes and fantasies, environed by you, ye silent, presentientest, maiden kittens, dudu and sulieka, round-sphinxed, that into one word I may crowd much feeling forgive me o oh god all such speech sinning sit i here, the best of air sniffling paradisal air truly bright and buoyant air golden mottled as goodly air as ever from lunar orb down fell be it by hazard or supervened it by arrogancy as the ancient poets relate it but doubter i am now calling it in question with this do i come indeed out of europe that doubteth more eagerly than doth any elderly married woman may the lord improve it amen this the finest air drinking with nostrils outswelled like goblets lacking future lacking remembrances thus do i sit here ye friendly damsels dearly loved and look at the palm-tree there how it to a dance-girl like doth bow and bend and on its haunches bob one doth it too when one vieweth it long to a dance-girl like who as it seemeth to me too long and dangerously persistent always always just on single leg hath stood then forgot she thereby as it seemeth to me the other leg for vainly i at least did search for the amissing fellow jewel namely the other leg in the sanctified precincts nigh her very dearest very tenderest flapping and fluttering and flickering skirting yea if ye should ye beauteous friendly ones quite take my word she hath alas lost it who 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 it is away forever away the other leg oh pity for that loveliest other leg where may it now tarry all forsaken weeping the lonesomest leg, in fear, perhaps before a furious yellow blond and curled leonine monster, or perhaps even gnawed away, nibbled badly, most wretched, woeful, woeful, nibbled badly,, Salah. oh weep ye not gentle spirits weep ye not ye date fruit spirits milk bosoms ye sweet wood heart purslets weep ye no more pallid dudu be a man sullika bold bold or else should there perhaps something strengthening heart strengthening here most proper be some inspiring text some solemn exhortation ha up now honor moral honor european honor blow again continue Bellows box of virtue, ha! Once more thy roaring, thy moral roaring, As a virtuous lion, nigh the daughters of deserts roaring. For virtue's outhowl, ye very dearest maidens, Is more than every European fervor, European hot hunger, And now do I stand here, as European. I can't be different. God's help to me. Amen. The Deserts
1: Grow, Woe Him Who Doth Them Hide. Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici This Tells Its Own Tale End of Part 4 Chapter Seventy Six, Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Part Four, Chapter Seventy Seven of "Thus Spake Zarathustra" by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Awakening. One. After the Song of the Wanderer in Shadow. The cave became all at once full of noise and laughter, and since the assembled guests all spake simultaneously, and even the ass, encouraged thereby, no longer remained silent, a little aversion and scorn for his visitors came over Zarathustra, although he rejoiced at their gladness, for it seemed to him a sign of convalescence, so he slipped out into the open air and spake to his animals. Whither hath their distress gone now?' said he, and already did he himself feel relieved of his petty disgust. "'With me it seemeth that they have unlearned their cries of distress. Though, alas, not yet their crying!' And Zarathustra stopped his ears, for just then did the "'Yee-ah!' of the ass mix strangely with the noisy jubilation of those higher men." "'They are merry,' he began again. "'And who knoweth, perhaps at their host's expense, "'and if they have learned of me to laugh? "'Still, it is not my laughter they have learned. "'But what matter about that? "'They are old people. "'They recover in their own way, they laugh in their own way. "'Mine ears have already endured worse, and have not become peevish.' This day is a victory. He already yieldeth, he fleeth, the spirit of gravity, mine old arch-enemy. How well this day is about to end, which began so badly and gloomily! And it is about to end. Already cometh the evening, over the sea rideth it hither the good rider. How it bobbeth, the blessed one, the home-returning one in its purple saddles. The sky gazeth brightly thereon, the world lieth deep. Oh, all ye strange ones who have come to me, it is already worth while to have lived with me. Thus spake Zarathustra, and again came the cries and laughter of the higher men out of the cave. Then began he anew, They bite at it, my bait taketh. There departeth also from them their enemy, the spirit of gravity. Now do they learn to laugh at themselves. Do I hear rightly? My virile food taketh effect, my strong and savoury sayings. And verily, I did not nourish them with flatulent vegetables, but with warrior food— With conqueror food, new desires did I awaken. New hopes are in their arms and legs, their hearts expand. They find new words, soon will their spirits breathe wantonness. Such food may sure enough not be proper for children, nor even for longing girls old and young. One persuadeth their bowels otherwise, I am not their physician and teacher. The disgust departeth from these higher men. Well, that is my victory. In my domain they become assured. All stupid shame fleeth away. They empty themselves. They empty their hearts. Good times return unto them. They keep holiday and ruminate. They become thankful. That do I take as the best sign. They become thankful. Not long will it be, ere they devise festivals, and put up memorials to their old joys. They are convalescents. Thus spake Zarathustra joyfully to his heart, and gazed outward. His animals, however, pressed up to him, and honored his happiness and his silence. Two. All on a sudden, however, Zarathustra's ear was frightened, for the cave, which had hitherto been full of noise and laughter, became all at once still as death, his nose, however, smelt a sweet-scented vapour and incense-odour, as if from burning pine-cones. What happeneth, what are they about? he asked himself: and stole up to the entrance, that he might be able, unobserved, to see his guests. But wonder upon wonder, what was he then obliged to behold with his own eyes? "'They have all of them become pious again. "'They pray. They are mad,' said he, and was astonished beyond measure. "'And forsooth all these higher men, the two kings, the Pope out of service, The evil magician, the voluntary beggar, the wanderer in shadow, the old soothsayer, the spiritually conscientious one, and the ugliest man. They all lay on their knees like children and credulous old women, and worshipped the ass. And just then began the ugliest man to gurgle and snort, as if something unutterable in him tried to find expression when however he had actually found words behold it was a pious strange litany in praise of the adored and sensed ass and the litany sounded thus amen and glory and honor and wisdom and thanks and praise and strength be to our god from everlasting to everlasting the ass, however, here brayed, E-aw. He carrieth our burdens, he hath taken upon him the form of a servant, he is patient of heart, and never saith nay, and he who loveth his god chastiseth him. The ass, however, here brayed, E-aw he speaketh not except that he ever saith yea to the world which he created thus doth he extol his world it is his artfulness that speaketh not thus is he rarely found wrong the ass however here brayed hee uncomely goeth he through the world gray is the favorite color in which he wrappeth his virtue hath he spirit then doth he conceal it every one however believeth in his long ears the ass however here braid, yee what hidden wisdom is it to wear long ears and only to say yeehaw? and never nay hath he not created the world in his own image namely as stupid as possible the ass however here brayed -ah. thou goest straight and crooked ways it concerneth thee little what seemeth straight or crooked unto us men beyond good and evil is thy domain it is thine innocence not to know what innocence is the ass however here brayed "Ye ah, lo how thou spurnest none from thee neither beggars nor kings, thou sufferest little children to come unto thee, and when the bad boys decoy thee, then sayest thou simply, "Ye ah." Yes, however, here braid, ye ah. Thou lovest she asses and fresh figs. Thou art no food despiser a thistle tickleth thy heart when thou chancest to be hungry there is the wisdom of a god therein the ass however here brayed "Ye ah." notes by anthony m ludovici in this discourse nietzsche wishes to give his followers a warning He thinks he has so far helped them that they have become convalescent, that new desires are awakened in them, and that new hopes are in their arms and legs. But he mistakes the nature of the change. True, he has helped them. He has given them back what they most need. That is, belief in believing, the confidence in having confidence in something. But how do they use it? This belief in faith, if one can so express it without seeming tautological, has certainly been restored to them, and in the first flood of their enthusiasm they use it by bowing down and worshipping an ass. When writing this passage, Nietzsche was obviously thinking of the accusations which were levelled at the early Christians by their pagan contemporaries. It is well known that they were supposed not only to be eaters of human flesh, but also ass-worshippers. And among the Roman graffiti, the most famous is the one found on the palatino, showing a man worshipping a cross on which is suspended a figure with the head of an ass. See Minucius Felix, Octavius IX, Tacitus, Historiae Vol. Three, Tertullian Apologia, etc. Nietzsche's obvious moral, however, is that great scientists and thinkers once they have reached the wall encircling scepticism, and have thereby learned to recover their confidence in the act of believing, as such, usually manifest the change in their outlook by falling victims to the narrowest and most superstitious of creeds. So much for the introduction of the ass as an object of worship. Now, with regard to the actual service and ass-festival, no reader who happens to be acquainted with the religious history of the Middle Ages will fail to see the allusion here to the Assinaria Festa, which were by no means uncommon in France, Germany, and elsewhere in Europe, during the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth centuries. End of part four, chapter seventy seven, Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Part Four, Chapter Seventy-Eight. Of thus spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ass Festival. One. At this place in the litany, however, Zarathustra could no longer control himself. He himself cried out, "Yeehaw!" Louder even than the ass, and sprang into the midst of his maddened guests. Whatever are you about, ye grown-up children?" he exclaimed, pulling up the praying ones from the ground; "alas, if any one else except Zarathustra had seen you! Every one would think you the worst blasphemers, or the very foolishest old women, with your new belief! And thou thyself, thou old pope, how is it in accordance with thee, to adore an ass in such a manner as god o zarathustra answered the pope forgive me but in divine matters i am more enlightened even than thou and it is right that it should be so better to adore god so in this form than in no form at all think over this saying mine exalted friend thou wilt readily divine that in such a saying there is wisdom he who said god is a spirit made the greatest stride and slide hitherto made on earth towards unbelief such a dictum is not easily amended again on earth mine old heart leapeth and aboundeth because there is still something to adore on earth forgive it o zarathustra to see an ode the pious pontiff heart. And thou, said Zarathustra to the wanderer and shadow, thou callest and thinkest thyself a free spirit, and thou here practisest such idolatry and hierolatry. Whose verily doest thou here than with thy bad brown girls, thou bad new believer?
2: It is sad enough answered the wanderer in shadow thou art right but how can i help it the old god liveth again o zarathustra thou mayst say what thou wilt the ugliest man is to blame for it all he hath reawakened him and if he say that he once killed him with god's death "'is always just a prejudice.'
1: "'And thou,'
2: said Zarathustra,
1: "'thou bad old magician, "'what didst thou do? "'Who ought to believe any longer in thee "'in this free age, "'when thou believest in such divine donkeyism? "'It was a stupid thing that thou didst. "'How couldst thou a shrewd man "'do such a stupid thing?' "'Oh, Zarathustra!' answered the shrewd magician. "'Thou art right. It was a stupid thing. It was also repugnant to me.' "'And thou even,' said Zarathustra to the spiritually conscientious one, "'consider, and put thy finger to thy nose. Doth nothing go against thy conscience here? Is thy spirit not too cleanly for this praying and the fumes of those devotees?' there is something therein said the spiritually conscientious one and put his finger to his nose there is something in this spectacle which even doeth good to my conscience perhaps i dare not believe in god certain it is however that god seemeth to me most worthy of belief in this form god is said to be eternal according to the testimony of the most pious he who hath so much time taketh his time as slow and as stupid as possible thereby can such a one nevertheless go very far and he who hath too much spirit might well become infatuated with stupidity and folly think of thyself o zarathustra thou thyself verily even thou couldst well become an ass through superabundance of wisdom. Doth not the true sage willingly walk on the crookedest paths? The evidence teacheth it, O Zarathustra, thine own evidence. And thou thyself, finally, said Zarathustra, and turned toward the ugliest man, who still lay on the ground, stretching up his arm to the ass, for he gave it wine to drink say thou nondescript what hast thou been about thou seemest to me transformed thine eyes glow the mantle of the sublime covereth thine ugliness what didst thou do is it then true what they say that thou hast again awakened him and why was he not for good reasons killed and made away with thou thyself seemest to me awakened what didst thou do why didst thou turn round why didst thou get converted speak thou nondescript o zarathustra answered the ugliest man thou art a rogue whether he liveth or again liveth or is thoroughly dead which of us both knoweth that best i ask thee one thing however do i know from thyself did i learn it once o zarathustra he who wanteth to kill most thoroughly laugheth not by wrath but by laughter doth one kill thus spakest thou once o zarathustra thou hidden one Thou destroyer without wrath, Thou dangerous saint, Thou art a rogue. 2. Then, however, did it come to pass that Zarathustra, Astonished at such merely roguish answers, Jumped back to the door of his cave, And turning towards all his guests, cried out with a strong voice, O ye wags, all of ye, ye buffoons, Why do ye dissemble and disguise yourselves before me? How the hearts of all of you convulsed with delight and wickedness, because ye had at last become again like little children. Namely, pious, because ye at last did again as children do. Namely, prayed, folded your hands, and said, Good God. But now leave, I pray you, this nursery, "'Mine own cave, where to-day all childishness is carried on. "'Cool down, here outside, your hot child-wantonness and heart-tumult. "'To be sure, except ye become as little children, "'ye shall not enter into that kingdom of heaven.' "'And Zarathustra pointed aloft with his hands. "'But we do not at all want to enter into the kingdom of heaven.' We have become men, so we want the kingdom of earth. Three. And once more began Zarathustra to speak. O my new friends, said he, ye strange ones, ye higher men, how well do ye now please me, since ye have again become joyful. Ye have verily all blossomed forth. It seemed to me that for such flowers as you new festivals are required. A little valiant nonsense, some divine service and ass-festival, some old joyful Zarathustra fool, some blusterer to blow your souls bright. Forget not this night and this ass-festival, ye higher men. That did ye devise when with me That do I take as a good omen. Such things only the convalescence devise. And should ye celebrate it again, this ass-festival, do it from love to yourselves. Do it also from love to me, and in remembrance of me. Thus spake Zarathustra. Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici At length in the middle of their feast zarathustra bursts in upon them and rebukes them soundly but he does not do so long in the ass festival it suddenly occurs to him that he is concerned with a ceremony that may not be without its purpose as something foolish but necessary a recreation for wise men he is therefore highly pleased that the higher men have all blossomed forth They therefore require new festivals, "A little valiant nonsense, some divine service and ass-festival, some old joyful Zarathustra fool, some blusterer to blow their souls bright!" He tells them not to forget that night and the ass-festival, for "such things only the convalescent devise, and should ye celebrate it again," he concludes: Do it from love to yourselves, do it also from love to me, and in remembrance of me. End of part four, chapter seventy eight. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Part four, chapter seventy nine of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche. Translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE DRUNKEN SONG One. Meanwhile one after another had gone out into the open air and into the cool, thoughtful night. Zarathustra himself, however, led the ugliest man by the hand, that he might show him his night world, and the great round moon and the silvery waterfalls near his cave. There they at last stood still beside one another. All of them old people, but with comforted, brave hearts, and astonished in themselves that it was so well with them on earth. The mystery of the night, however, came nigher and nigher into their hearts. And anew Zarathustra thought to himself, Oh, how well do they now please me, these higher men! But he did not say it aloud, for he respected their happiness and their silence. Then, however, there happened that which, in this astonishing long day, was most astonishing. The ugliest man began once more, and for the last time, to gurgle and snort, and when he at length found expression, behold, there sprang a question plump and plain out of his mouth, a good, deep, clear question, which moved the hearts of all who listened to him. "'My friends, all of you,' said the ugliest man what think thee for the sake of this day I am for the first time content to have lived mine entire life and that I testify so much is still not enough for me it is worth well living on the earth one day one festival with Zarathustra hath taught me to love the earth was that life will i say unto death well once more my friends what think ye will ye not like me say unto death was that life for the sake of zarathustra well once more thus spake the ugliest man it was not however far from midnight And what took place then, think ye? As soon as the higher men heard this question, they became all at once conscious of their transformation and convalescence, and of him who was the cause thereof. Then did they rush up to Zarathustra, thanking, honoring, caressing him, and kissing his hands, each in his own peculiar way, so that some laughed and some wept. The old soothsayer, however, danced with delight, and though he was then, as some narrators suppose, full of sweet wine, he was certainly still fuller of sweet life, and had renounced all weariness. There are even those who narrate that the ass then danced, for not in vain had the ugliest man previously given it wine to drink. That may be the case, or it may be otherwise, and... If in truth the ass did not dance that evening, there nevertheless happened then greater and rarer wonders than the dancing of an ass would have been. In short, as the proverb of Zarathustra saith, what doth it matter? Two. When, however, this took place with the ugliest man, Zarathustra stood there like one drunken, his glance dulled his tongue faltered, and his feet staggered. And who could divine what thoughts then passed through Zarathustra's soul? Apparently, however, his spirit retreated and fled in advance, and was in remote distances, and, as it were, wandering on high mountain ridges, as it standeth written, Twixt two seas. Wandering twixt the past and the future as a heavy cloud. Gradually, however, While the higher men held him in their arms, he came back to himself a little, and resisted with his hands the crowd of the honoring and caring ones, but he did not speak. All at once, however, he turned his head quickly, for he seemed to hear something. Then laid he his finger on his mouth and said, "'Come!' And immediately it became still and mysterious round about. From the depth, however, there came up slowly the sound of a clock-bell. Zarathustra listened thereto, like the higher men. Then, however, laid he his finger on his mouth the second time, and said, "'Come, come! It is getting on to midnight!' And his voice had changed. But still he had not moved from the spot. Then it became yet stiller and more mysterious, and everything hearkened, even the ass, and Zarathustra's noble animals, the eagle and the serpent, likewise the cave of Zarathustra and the big cool moon and the night itself. Zarathustra, however, laid his hand upon his mouth for the third time and said, "'Come, come, come, let us now wander.' it is the hour, let us WANDER INTO THE NIGHT! three Ye higher men, it is getting on to midnight, then will I say something into your ears, as that old clock-bell saith it into mine ear, As mysteriously, as frightfully And as cordially as that midnight clock-bell speaketh it to me, which hath experienced more than one man, which hath already counted the smarting throbbings of your father's hearts, (laughs) how it sigheth, how it laugheth in its dream, the old deep, deep midnight. Hush, hush! Then is there many a thing heard which may not be heard by day now however in the cool air when even all the tumult of your hearts hath become still now doth it speak now is it heard now doth it steal into over wakeful nocturnal souls ah ah how the midnight sigheth how it laugheth in its dream hearst thou not how it mysteriously frightfully and cordially speaketh unto thee the old deep deep midnight o man take heed four woe to me whither hath time gone have i not sunk into deep wells the world sleepeth ah ah the dog howleth the moon shineth Rather will I die, rather will I die, than say unto you what my midnight heart now thinketh. Already have I died. It is all over. Spider, why spinnest thou around me? Wilt thou have blood? Ha! <laughs> the dew falleth, the hour cometh the hour in which i frost and freeze which asketh and asketh and asketh who hath sufficient courage for it who is to be master of the world who is going to say thus shall ye flow ye great and small streams the hour approacheth o man thou higher man take heed this talk is for fine ears for thine ears What saith Deep Midnight's voice indeed? 5. It carrieth me away, my soul danceth. Day's work, day's work. Who is to be master of the world? The moon is cool, the wind is still. (laughs) Have ye already flown high enough? Ye have danced. A leg, nevertheless, is not a wing. Ye good dancers, now is all delight over. Wine hath become lees, every cup hath become brittle. These sepulchres mutter. Ye have not flown high enough. Now do these sepulchres mutter, free the dead. Why is it so long night? Doth not the moon make us drunken? Ye higher men, free the sepulchres. Awaken the corpses. Ah, why doth the worm still burrow? There approacheth, there approacheth, the hour. There boometh the clock-bell, there thrilleth still the heart, there burroweth still the woodworm, the heart-worm. Ah, the world is deep. Six. Sweet lyre. Sweet lyre, I love thy tone, thy drunken ranunculan tone. How long, how far hath come unto me thy tone from the distance, from the ponds of love? Thou old clock-bell, thou sweet lyre, every pain hath torn thy heart, father-pain, father's pain, forefather's pain. Thy speech hath become ripe. Ripe like the golden autumn in the afternoon, like mine anchorite heart. Now sayest thou, the world itself hath become ripe, the grape turneth brown. Now doth it wish to die, to die of happiness. Ye higher men, do ye not feel it? There welleth up mysteriously an odour, a perfume and odour of eternity. A rosy, blessed, brown, gold-wine odour of old happiness. Of drunken, midnight-death happiness. Which, singeth, the world is deep, and deeper than the day could read. 7. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I am too pure for thee. Touch me not. Hath not my world just now become perfect? My skin is too pure for thy hands. Leave me alone, thou dull, dull doltish, stupid day. Is not the midnight brighter? The purest are to be the masters of the world, the least known, the strongest, the midnight souls, who are brighter and deeper than any day. A day? Thou gropest for me? Thou feelest for my happiness? For thee I am rich, lonesome, a treasure-pit, a gold-chamber. O world, thou wantest me. Am I worldly for thee? Am I spiritual for thee? Am I divine for thee? But day and world, ye are too coarse. Have cleverer hands, grasp after deeper happiness. After deeper unhappiness, grasp after some god. Grasp not after me. Mine unhappiness, my happiness, is deep, thou strange day. But yet am I no god, no god's hell. Deep is its woe. 8. God's woe is deeper, thou strange world grasp at god's woe not at me what am i a drunken sweet liar a midnight liar a bell-frog which no one understandeth but which must speak before deaf ones ye higher men for ye do not understand me gone gone o youth o noontide o afternoon Now have come evening and night and midnight. The dog howleth the wind. Is the wind not a dog? It whineth, it barketh, it howleth. Ah, how she sigheth, how she laugheth, how she wheezeth and panteth the midnight. How she just now speaketh soberly, this drunken poetess. Hath she perhaps overdrunk her drunkenness? Hath she become overwake? Doth she ruminate? Her woe doth she ruminate over, in a dream, the old, deep midnight, and still more her joy. For joy, although woe be deep, joy is deeper still than grief can be. 9. Thou grape-vine, why dost thou praise me? Have I not cut thee? I am cruel, thou bleedest, what meaneth thy praise of my drunken cruelty? Whatever hath become perfect, everything mature, wanteth to die, so sayest thou? Blessed, blessed be the vintner's knife, but Everything immature wanteth to live. Alas! Woe saith, hence, go, away thou woe. But everything that suffereth wanteth to live, that it may become mature and lively and longing. Longing for the further, the higher, the brighter. I want airs, so saith everything that suffereth. I want children, I do not want myself. Joy, however, doth not want heirs, it doth not want children. Joy wanteth itself, it wanteth eternity, it wanteth recurrence, it wanteth everything eternally like itself. Woe, saith, break, bleed thou heart. Wander, thou leg, thou wing, fly, onward, upward, thou pain. Well, cheer up, O mine old heart, woe saith, hence, go. 10. Ye higher men, what think ye? Am I a soothsayer, or a dreamer, or a drunkard, or a dream-reader? or a midnight bell, or a drop of dew, or a fume and fragrance of eternity. Hear ye it not? Smell ye it not? Just now hath my world become perfect. Midnight is also midday. Pain is also a joy. Curse is also a blessing. Night is also a sun. Go away or ye will learn that a sage is also a fool. Said ye ever, Yea, to one joy? O my friends, then said ye, Yea, also unto all woe. All things are enlinked, enlaced, and enamoured. Wanted ye ever once to come twice, and said ye ever, Thou pleasest me, Happiness, instant, moment, then wanted ye all to come back again. All anew, all eternal, all inlinked, inlaced and enamored. Oh, then did ye love the world. Ye eternal ones, ye love it eternally and for all time. And also unto woe do ye say, hence, go, but come back. FOR JOYS ALL WANT ETERNITY. 11. ALL JOY WANTETH THE ETERNITY OF ALL THINGS. IT WANTETH HONEY. IT WANTETH LEASE. IT WANTETH DRUNKEN MIDNIGHT. IT WANTETH GRAVES. IT WANTETH GRAVE TEARS CONSOLATION. IT WANTETH GILDED EVENING RED. WHAT DOTH NOT JOY WANT? It is thirstier, heartier, hungrier, more frightful, more mysterious, than all woe. It wanteth itself, it biteth into itself, the ring's will writheth in it. It wanteth love, it wanteth hate, it is over-rich, it bestoweth, it throweth away, it beggeth for someone to take from it, it thanketh the taker, it would fain be hated so rich is joy that it thirsteth for woe for hell for hate for shame for the lame for the world for this world oh ye know it indeed ye higher men for you doth it long this joy this irrepressible blessed joy for your woe ye failures for failures longeth all eternal joy. For joys all want themselves. Therefore do they also want grief? O happiness, O pain, O break thou heart! Ye higher men, do learn it, that joys want eternity. Joys want the eternity of all things. They want deep, profound eternity. 12. Have ye now learned my song? Have ye divined what it would say? Well, cheer up. Ye higher men, sing now my roundelay. Sing now yourselves the song, the name of which is once more, the signification of which is unto all eternity. Sing, ye higher men. Zarathustra's roundelay. O man, take heed. What saith deep midnight's voice indeed? I slept my sleep. From deepest dream I've woke and plead. The world is deep, and deeper than the day could read. Deep is its woe. Joy deeper still than grief can be. Woe saith, hence go. But joys all want eternity, Want deep, profound, eternity. Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici It were the height of presumption to attempt to fix any particular interpretation of my own to the words of this song. With what has gone before, the reader, while reading it as poetry, should be able to seek and find his own meaning in it. The doctrine of the eternal recurrence appears for the last time here, in an art form. Nietzsche lays stress upon the fact that all happiness, all delight, longs for repetitions, and just as a child cries, again, again, to the adult who happens to be amusing him. So the man who sees a meaning, and a joyful meaning, in existence, must also cry, again, and yet again, again, To all his life. End of part four, chapter seventy nine. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Part four, chapter eighty of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche. Translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sign. In the morning, however, after this night. Zarathustra jumped up from his couch, and, having girded his loins, he came out of his cave glowing and strong, like a morning sun coming out of gloomy mountains. "'Thou great star!' spake he, as he had spoken once before. "'Thou deep eye of happiness! What would be all thy happiness if thou hadst not those for whom thou shinest? And if they remained in their chambers whilst thou art already awake?' and comest, and bestowest, and distributest, how would thy proud modesty upbraid for it? Well, they still sleep, these higher men, whilst I am awake. They are not my proper companions. Not for them do I wait here in my mountains. At my work I want to be, at my day. But they understand not what are the signs of my morning, My step is not for them the awakening call. They still sleep in my cave. Their dream still drinketh at my drunken songs. The audient ear for me, the obedient ear, is yet lacking in their limbs. This had Zarathustra spoken to his heart when the sun arose. Then looking he inquiringly aloft, for he heard above him the sharp call of his eagle, Well, called he upwards, thus is it pleasing and proper to me. Mine animals are awake, for I am awake. Mine eagle is awake, and like me honoureth the sun. With eagle talons doth it grasp at the new light. Ye are my proper animals. I love you. But still do I lack my proper men. Thus spake Zarathustra. Then, however... It happened that all on a sudden he became aware that he was flocked around and fluttered around, as if by innumerable birds. The whizzing of so many wings, however, and the crowding around his head was so great that he shut his eyes. And verily there came down upon him as it were a cloud, like a cloud of arrows which poureth upon a new enemy. But behold, here it was a cloud of love, and showered upon a new friend." "'What happeneth unto me?' thought Zarathustra in his astonished heart, and slowly seated himself on the big stone which lay close to the exit from his cave. But while he grasped about with his hands around him, above him, and below him, and repelled the tender birds, behold, there then happened to him something still stranger. For he grasped thereby unawares into a mass of thick, warm, shaggy hair, At the same time, however, there sounded before him a roar, a long, soft lion roar. "'The sign cometh,' said Zarathustra, and the change came over his heart. And in truth, when it turned clear before him, there lay a yellow, powerful animal at his feet, resting its head on his knee. Unwilling to leave him out of love, and doing like a dog which again findeth its old master. The doves, however, were no less eager with their love than the lion, and whenever a dove whisked over its nose, the lion shook its head and wondered and laughed. When all this went on, Zarathustra spake only a word. "'My children are nigh! My children!' Then he became quite mute his heart however was loosed and from his eyes there dropped down tears and fell upon his hands and he took no further notice of anything but sat there motionless without repelling the animals further then flew the doves to and fro and perched on his shoulder and caressed his white hair and did not tire of their tenderness and joyousness the strong lion however licked always the tears that fell on Zarathustra's hands, and roared and growled shyly. Thus did these animals do. All this went on for a long time, or a short time, for, properly speaking, there is no time on earth for such things. Meanwhile, however, the higher men had awakened in Zarathustra's cave, and marshaled themselves for a procession to go to meet Zarathustra, and give him their morning greeting for they had found when they awakened that he no longer tarried with them when however they reached the door of the cave and the noise of their steps had preceded them the lion started violently it turned away all at once from zarathustra and roaring wildly sprang toward the cave the higher men however when they heard the lion roaring cried all aloud as with one voice fled back and vanished in an instant. Zarathustra himself, however, stunned and strange, rose from his seat, looked around him, stood there astonished, inquired of his heart, bethought himself, and remained alone. What did I hear? said he at last slowly. What happened unto me just now? But soon there came to him his recollection, and he took in at a glance all that had taken place between yesterday and to-day. "'Here is indeed the stone,' said he, and stroked his beard. On it sat I yestermorn, and here came the soothsayer unto me, and here heard I first the cry which I heard just now. The Great Cry of Distress O oh, ye higher men, your distress was it that the old soothsayer foretold to me yestermorn Unto your distress did he want to seduce and tempt me. O Zarathustra, said he to me, I come to seduce thee to thy last sin. "'To my last sin?' cried Zarathustra, and laughed angrily at his own words. "'What hath been reserved for me as my last sin?' And once more Zarathustra became absorbed in himself, and sat down again on the big stone and meditated. Suddenly he sprang up. "'Fellow-suffering! Fellow-suffering with the higher men!' he cried out and his countenance changed into brass well that hath had its time my suffering and my fellow suffering what matter about them do I then strive after happiness I strive after my work well the lion hath come my children are nigh Zarathustra hath grown ripe mine hour hath come this is my morning my day beginneth arise now arise thou great noontide thus spake zerathustra and left his cave glowing and strong like a morning sun coming out of gloomy mountains notes by anthony m ludovici In this discourse Nietzsche disassociates himself finally from the higher men, and by the symbol of the lion wishes to convey to us that he has won over and mastered the best and the most terrible in nature. That great power and tenderness are kin was already his belief in 1875, eight years before he wrote this speech, and when the birds and the lion come to him it is because he is the embodiment of the two qualities. All that is terrible and great in nature, the higher men are not yet prepared for. For they retreat horror-stricken into the cave when the lion springs at them. But Zarathustra makes not a move toward them. He was tempted to them on the previous day. He says, but, That hath had its time, my suffering and my fellow-suffering. What matter about them? do i then strive after happiness i strive after my work well the lion hath come my children are nigh zarathustra hath grown ripe my day beginneth arise now arise thou great noonday the above i know to be open to much criticism i shall be grateful to all those who will be kind enough to show me where and how i have gone wrong but I should like to point out that, as they stand, I have not given to these notes by any means their final form. Anthony M. Ludovici, London, February 1909 End of Part 4, Chapter 80 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia End of Thus Spake Zarathustra A Book for All and None by Friedrich Nietzsche Translated by Thomas Common Thank you for listening.